Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 73. This one is all you. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, who loves the fact that kids and teenagers listen to the show, Pat Flynn. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Pat Flynn, and welcome to session 73 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Super stoked that you're here with me. I hope you had a fantastic 4th of July for those of you uh, listening to this as it comes out. If you're listening to this in the future, uh, I hope you had a good day yesterday and today, too. And uh, I hope to make it even better because in today's episode, I have some very, very, very special guests. You. Actually, what's happening is I'm answering your questions on today's episode, voicemail questions that were left for me at speakpipe.com slash Pat Flynn. If you go there now, speakpipe.com slash Pat Flynn, you can actually leave me a voicemail uh, for me right now through your computer on that webpage, and I may feature your question here on another listener voicemail dedicated SPI podcast session in the future. I'll do these every once in a while, uh, and, and I thought, you know, today, since it was sort of an off week due to the 4th of July holiday, uh, now would be sort of a perfect time to, to, to do the sort of first one um, in a series of these that are coming up in, in the future every, I don't know, I don't even want to say how many episodes in between each of these, but they're going to be awesome. The more questions I get, the more I'm going to answer. So I would love to hear from you. So without further ado, here are some questions from you. Let's start with the first one. Hey, Pat. Um this is Kent from New York. I just want to say a big thank you. Been a long-time listener. Um, and my question to you is, uh, had you not been uh, fired from your job, where do you think your uh, your career would be today? Um, just as curious to see whether had you stuck to your 9-to-5, what you'll be doing uh, today in uh, 2013. Thanks again, and um, really appreciate what you're doing here. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Kent, thanks for the question, and uh, it totally sounds like you're in New York. I just love the background noise to your voicemail. Thank you for the for the voicemail. Um, and, you know, it's pretty crazy. When I think about where my life would have ended up if I didn't get let go, and I want to make that 
clear distinction. You know, I wasn't fired. I was la- I was laid off. But, you know, it's all good. Even Fox News, who covered my story, said the exact same thing. But, yeah, either way, um, for one, I know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today because I loved the world of architecture when I was in it. Um, and it took me getting laid off to really discover all of this online business stuff because – you know, it just sort of forced me to, and I definitely wouldn't have gone outside of my box. I would have not gone outside of my box and outside of my comfort zone. You know, this was completely new. Uh, this online business stuff was completely new and weird and unknown to me, uh, and I wasn't looking in to get anything unknown. Um, I was looking to stick and progress with what I knew about, which was the world of architecture. So if I didn't get laid off, I'm pretty sure at this moment in time, I'd probably be really close to getting my architectural license. I'd probably be working at a firm somewhere uh, I would have perhaps went to uh, graduate school and, and maybe just finishing up that too you know I might be a high level job captain at the firm still in charge of a bunch of product pro, uh, of projects and you know the sort of liaison between our firm and, and our clients on those projects but not quite the ultimate decision maker yet like a project manager which is what I would be striving for um, that takes maybe seven to ten years of experience in a typically an architectural license before you can get to that level in that industry I would have continued to work my butt off like I still do but you know it wouldn't be at my own leisure of course you know it would be eight to six every day perhaps even more if there was a deadline coming up eight to eight or even longer sometimes which I've done in the past when I was still working there um and I think I would have enjoyed it too. You know, I've always enjoyed my job uh, and, and I can even say I miss it sometimes now, but I definitely wouldn't trade it for what I have now. I've, I always tell people I probably would have been happy still, but I wouldn't have known what it would be like to be this happy or this kind of happy. You know, I probably would have still had kids, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to spend this much time with the, uh, them like I do now. And for that, I'm just so thankful for the way things turned out. Uh, and, and the layoff is really what started it all. So, so thank you, Kent. Uh, awesome question to start off with. Okay, let's bust through these. Let's get to the next question. Hi, Pat. It's Andrea Kelly here from Australia. Um, I have a question about um, newsreaders. And blogs. I'm I'm starting my own blog. It's not published yet. I'm in the phase of researching my niche and uh, basically writing content every day to get into the habit of doing it, to practice doing it, and to accumulate content so that I've got it ready to go when I do go live. That's where I'm at. Um, and reading a lot of other stuff. Um, the way I read a lot of other stuff is through um, Feedly. And um, I just noticed with um, Feedly, if you use a newsreader like that, how does it affect your traffic and also your subscriptions for blogs? Because uh, with Feedly, for example, I would uh, type in um, smart passive income, for example, and subscribe through Feedly. I was just wondering if you get that subscription, like you get my email address and how does the traffic work? Um, So when I get a post update from you and I open it in Feedly and read it, does that count for traffic for you or to your site or only if I actually go to your website Um, by clicking, you know, go to website, which is the button down the bottom? And if so, are readers... Are readers good for bloggers, like maybe good for exposure and reaching your audience, but not so good for the traffic to your site? 
And if that's the case, then is that why you do really short posts? Like, are you really trying to get us to click the visit website button? Um, I, I, I hope that's concise enough. And I was wondering if maybe you could just touch on a few of those points so that I could get a better understanding of, um, you know, the importance of newsreaders for bloggers and, uh, how traffic and subscriptions work. Thanks, Pat. Andrea from Australia, uh, thank you for your question. Now, to rephrase your question, you're wondering if people who read your blog through a reader like Feedly or others, um, unfortunately not Google Reader because as of July 1st, that's been discontinued. Uh, But if people are subscribed to your blog and get updates with a reader, does that count as traffic for your website? And if it doesn't, is that bad? Should you perhaps show just a summary of a post or what's called a partial feed with a click here to read more link back to your blog um, instead of showing the full posts in order to drive traffic back to your website. Now, first of all, the fact is readers who read your content on a reader do not count as traffic for your website. They haven't visited your site yet and, and they simply just got your article through your feed that you're pushing into their reader when you publish an article. Uh, that happens when they subscribe and that's the first part. That's the easy part. The hard part is this sort of debate of whether or not you should show partial or full text in your RSS feed, which is something that you could control in the back end of WordPress. So if you go to the settings uh, and then reading uh, underneath settings um, in WordPress, in the, in the back end of WordPress, you'll see that option there to change it between partial text or full text. And this has been a debate for years. I did some quick research and found an article about this on ProBlogger dot net from 2006 that's over seven years ago and this debate is still around and alive today so what do you do partial feed or full feed um, for your rss what's better now typically how i approach you know any sort of debate or major decision um, is i think of what's best for the reader you know the person who chooses to subscribe to my blog and will get this information that i post that they are subscribing to Now, why do people subscribe to an RSS feed and through a reader in the first place? Well, they subscribe because it's it's convenient. You know, all of the articles from all of the blogs that they want to read are, are, are kind of brought to them in one central location, their reader. So they don't have to go from blog to blog to read all these articles, and, and they can get all that information there as it comes through. You know, less work for them uh, to, to retrieve that information themselves. So along those same lines of thinking, if I want, the consumption of my content to be as simple and convenient and easy as possible for my readers, the, the reader readers, I choose full text. And that's that's exactly what I do on Smart Passive Income. You'll see full text in my RSS feeds for my articles, not necessarily my podcast because that's a whole feed burner, 512 KB size limit issue. But for my blog written articles, you'll see full text. But Some people subscribe not for the convenience of reading all the articles in their reader. Some people subscribe because they just want to be notified when new articles come out from there and they want to choose which ones seem worthy of a click to visit a website to read more where uh, then they would count as traffic to your blog. Now, these people don't prefer full text. That's not convenient for them and many times it's overwhelming. You know, imagine... Imagine subscribing to 10 different blogs and they each come out with a new full text post, uh, you know, tomorrow and you open up your reader and you see thousands of words on each. I mean, that's that's overwhelming. You know, see you see a partial feed, you know, you read the beginning of, of each of those articles and then you could choose which ones sort of sound interesting based on what you have going on. That's less overwhelming. 
So we have a dilemma here, but there's more. You know, a lot of people's articles get hijacked or stolen uh, when other people use a plugin or something to post articles from someone else's site on their own simply by subscribing to their RSS feed. So what I mean is, you know, if you post a full RSS feed, sometimes people will, you know, pull your RSS feed and post that on their website as if that content was their own. And that sucks. You know, th- this happens a lot on Smart Passive Income, actually. When I publish an article, it shows up somewhere else on the web, and they are just pulling that content straight from my RSS feed because it's full. It's full. That's how they are publishing my own content, word for word, on their sites. And I can tell it's from my RSS feed because I have some plugins that put custom content at the bottom of my uh, posts just for people reading the RSS feed. Side note that plugin is called RSS Footer, uh, and, and that shows up on their site too. So that's how I know they're pulling from my RSS feed. Now, for many people, this is bad. If you're a photographer, for example, and you, you need to protect your photos, you don't want them going out there, um, a lot of times your photos will get taken and put on someone else's site through this sort of method without your permission. And that, of course, is not good. And it's not good even if you're not a photographer. You know, your, your work that you, you worked hard for on someone else's site. But at the same time, is that necessarily bad? You know, it's not good, but is, is, it, is it really bad? Now, typically, these sites are, are worthless who do this, you know, the ones who just sort of scrape RSS content off the web and try to build a site of their own off of other people's content. Most of them include all the same links you include. Uh, those don't change, and, and many will include an additional link back to your site as sort of their way of saying, hey, this is the credit of where I got this from. And although you're probably not getting too much actual traffic from those links, it's, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's debatable. And, you know, some people don't care, and for me, Personally, that's not a huge deal. Now, based on that, if you're leaning toward partial feeds because of that, and uh, you know because that does, you know, it will bring more traffic back to your site based on people wanting to read more. Think about it from the reader's perspective. I mean, when you write an article, you don't necessarily write for those who read who read the partial feeds. You know, so you may not have that compelling content just in the first paragraph uh, that that will get people to click on that link to read more from, from reading your partial feed. You know, your compelling and most interesting stuff might be right after that or in the middle. Um, you know, they can't scan the post first and read the headlines within your post and then make a decision to read. So you may actually not be getting people to read your content who may have read it if they saw it in full. In addition, if you write really well, within your full text RSS feed, you're probably going to get people to click back to your website anyway whether that's a link within your post or at the end of it bringing you back to that specific post. Um, I like to include many relevant links back to previous articles within newly published blog posts. So that's getting people back to my website from my feed anyway, you know, just in a different way. If I have a good call to action at the end of the post and people feel compelled to leave a comment, for example, or click on a particular link, you know, they're going to do that. And, uh, you know, you're not just relying on the first paragraph of your partial feed to get people to take action. A lot of times people won't unless they read your full article. So what this really all comes down to is it is up to you. Um, There is, in my opinion, no right or wrong answer. Uh, Just one answer may be better than another for you and your particular audience. But you will never be able to please everyone. So Really, just don't worry too much about this. I know it's a high-level debate that's been around for years, but you know, just pick one and go with it and, and worry more about just delivering amazing content, and uh, you really have nothing else to worry about after that. Cool? Cool. Sweet. Let's keep going. Next question. Here we go. 
Hi Pat, it's Chris Heffer calling from London. I'm building a website called It Is What It Is. The URL is itiswhatit.is. It's an Icelandic domain name, so no .com is needed, just .is. You have inspired me with your transparency, and I'm following your lead and building a very transparent product comparison site to give people honest, unbiased information and advice about what to buy. I have a question for you. If you wanted to build up a number of niche sites over a period of time, what would the pros and cons be of doing them either under one separate domain name for each individual niche or combining them under one domain and having a different subdomain or sections of a single domain for each niche? Would it be easier to rank the sites individually or would the domain authority build up over time and make it easier to rank sites in the future? Thanks for the great content you generate and I look forward to your answer. Once again, it's Chris Heffer from It Is What It Dot Is, the transparent comparison site. Hey, Chris, really interesting question here. And let me see if I can rephrase this for the listeners out there. You're asking if you're going to build a bunch of niche sites, what would be easier to rank and what's better overall? Creating separate websites for each of those niche sites or having sort of one umbrella domain uh, and then within that domain have subsections or subdomains that address each of those separate niches? To me, I think it depends on what those separate niches are that you're going to be creating sites for. If they are all related, then it, it's definitely a smart idea to at least think about creating a sort of overall hub that could house those particular subsections that sort of act like separate niche sites. Um, and, and, and in time, what would happen is that main domain would become more of an overall authority because in, in whole, it would be sort of addressing all parts of that particular market. And when you think about it, something like that could become the ultimate resource in that space, which is what I always tell people to strive for when building an online business, you know, becoming, you know, you know picking a niche, serving that market as the ultimate resource. So for example, I, I could have built two separate niche sites in the security guard training space, you know, one for armed security guard training and then another one for unarmed security guard training. But when I put that information together, both on my single website at securityguardtraininghq.com, the site in whole becomes more authoritative. And, and to the user, it's like, okay, this is definitely the resource to get info on all types of security guard training information. So in this example, you know, it, it makes sense. If you're targeting different niches, but want to put them all under one domain, then they should all be somehow related. So you can serve that particular market, someone who might be interested in all of those things that you're going to be talking about, you know, that particular audience type. If you try to build an overall site that targets too many different markets, you're going to lose that sort of ultimate resource capability of that site. And, and from a reader's perspective, you're going to be less authoritative. And to Google too, I mean, there, there are sites out there who, uh, you know, already cover these these things that, that you're going to be covering about in uh, more detail than you could if you were sort of spread out and you didn't have that overall domain authority. Um, it's definitely easier to niche down as much as you can first, you know, really hone in on that target market or even the market within a market and, and serve them. You know, it's going to be less competitive. You're going to build a strong base set of readers who are on your site for exactly the kind of thing you know you're talking about. And, and you're going to see results much faster. Now, in those smaller sort of niche down spaces, it's definitely more limiting as far as audience size and, and, and potential growth. But in my opinion, if you can niche down first, you know, really get into that space and dominate it, you can expand out of it. 
based on the other things that that particular audience may enjoy. Um, a good example of this and, and sort of an extreme example comes from my buddy Cliff Ravenscraft from podcastanswerman.com. I mean, he started his business with a podcast talking about the show Lost and then from there uh, started to create different shows. And many of the people who followed him on his Lost podcast followed him elsewhere in totally different niches uh, because he had that really deep connection with his audience from his podcast. And then he created his overall brand, the GSPN network, or the uh, generally speaking podcast network, GSPN, that houses all of those different podcasts that he produces. Uh, so so he does have that sort of overall site with with the other niches within, but you know, they're they are there for Cliff, you know, and, and he didn't start like that either. And, and I can tell you uh, this, uh, you know, Cliff isn't using SEO as his guide to, to do this and sort of create this authoritative network. He, he's using the response from his audience and what they need, which is really what you should be paying attention to most. So if you can do that, the search engines will sort of figure out what they need to do next. So thank you, Chris. I hope that makes sense. Um, let's go to the next question. Hey, Pat. My name's Sam. Um, I was wondering what mediums you find most effective in the Smart Passive Income blog and in all of your other niche sites, what do you find is the best way to communicate with your audience and sort of if you could give some feedback on like why you say do the podcast or keep blogging even though you have the podcast and you obviously have all these different things that you're doing and just how you find is best the best possible way to communicate with everyone. Thanks. You're awesome, by the way. Sam, what's up, dude? You are awesome, too. Uh, and thank you for your question. As far as what content mediums are most effective, you know, why do the podcast or why keep the blog when you have a podcast already? Or what about video content? You know, which is the best possible way to share your content or the information you have? What type of content uh, and what medium is best for your audience? I think a lot of people out there who have followed me for a while will, will understand when I say um, all content mediums are the best, in my opinion. And, and they're necessary for, and they're effective in their own special different way. And this goes back to my be everywhere strategy, which means be on each of these mediums because they all have specific purposes and together they can take your brand to that next level. So what, when you say what's the most effective, I think we have to go a little bit further than that. And, and I think we have to, to say, for example, what's the most effective for things like driving traffic or building relationships or teaching something or being discovered or encouraging shares or making an impact emotionally or telling a story or, 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 or selling something or getting people to click something? You know, and the thing is, if you cover each of the mediums, you know, you've got all of that covered. So, for example podcasting. I, I, I love a podcast because a podcast is a great way to build a relationship with your reader. You know, it's better than a blog with just text only. Uh, and, and in many ways, it's better than video. Because with a podcast, you can put yourself right into people's daily lives. I mean, I don't know for those of you listening right now, but I might be like in the car with you right now, or on a run with you or at the gym, you know, spotting you from behind. Just look behind you. I, might, I actually might be there. No, don't. Don't. That's kind of weird. Um, but, you know, the, what's cool is that, you know, people who listen to your podcast, they don't need to be connected to the Internet. They can download your new show and, and, and be like, like I said, in the car or on a walk with you or, or you know, just like you're there in real life. Um, and sometimes for really long periods of time, you know, 30 minutes to an hour sometimes for, for a show that people are listening to you, which is 
a lot more attention than you can get from a blog post or a video that you produce. You know, a podcast, um, it sounds like, a, you know, a one-on-one conversation. Like you, the listener right now, and me, we're, we're having this conversation together and you can really build, I mean, we could really build a, re- a real relationship together that way and with multiple people at the same time, which is awesome. Um, when I see people at conferences, you know, about 95% of them say, uh, you know, Pat, like I, I listen to your podcast. Thank you so much for your podcast. And they always follow up with, I feel like I know you already. Um, even though they just met me for the first time, typically, you know, you, you don't get that normally from if you're only writing on your blog. Uh, also, the the podcast for me is the number one way people find out and discover the Smart Passive Income brand. You know, not the number one traffic generator, but the number one way that people discover the brand. But of course, the blog is important because that's where all the action happens. You know, that's where the links are. That's where you can get, you know, that's where you can direct people where to go and what to do, what to see and how to flow through your brand. It's your site. You own it and you can guide people any which way you want. With a podcast, you know, there's nothing to click on. And and, and even with a platform like YouTube for videos, you can't always direct people exactly where you want to go so you're typically always driving people who listen to your podcast or watch your videos back to your blog or your website plus you've got the search engine capabilities of a blog as opposed to audio and 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 what's included inside your video unless you did include the transcription Uh, and a blog typically is what people will subscribe to in their readers and are more likely to share especially if they've resonated with what you've written at the end of your post and, and, and you know you give them call to actions, actions that they can take right then and there. Now, of course, there's also video um, where people can see your face and how you are in real life or what to do. You know, They can get the realness from your voice too, um, just like a podcast, but, but it's, hard to hide, it's hard to hide behind anything. Uh, so again, you're in that deep connection, but that's, that's, there's even more... Uh, there's there, there's an even more powerful ability to show people stuff and teach people on video. Um, you know, it's, it's just so much easier to do on video than on a blog and, and especially on a podcast. So, for example, um, you know, imagine if you're trying to teach somebody something technical. Um, you know, it would be difficult to do uh, on some of these platforms and easier to do on video. So I could do, um, let's let's say, for example, I'm going to be teaching someone how to set up a website. So I could do that with a blog post, just text only, and then some images to, you know, step, step-by-step images. And that would be helpful, and I'd get through it. But it would probably take me a good amount of time to put that thing together, um, you know, for, for the type of quality that, that I want to go for and to make it easy to understand. On a podcast, trying to teach someone how to set up a website, you know, that's that's really difficult. You know, you'd say like, okay, go to this URL, then click on that blue link. It says register domain in the middle of the screen, not the one on the white background, but the one on the grayish background, and then wait for it to load. Okay, then you type in this, blah, blah, blah. That's hard. You know, audio for something like that is the least effective medium. But video, that's the best. You know, you, you, you just record what you're doing or you say it uh, and, and you show people, here's how you do it. Watch, here, here. Type this here, boom, done. Um, and of course, you're going to want to explain things better than that, but um, you're going to want to explain things well in a video, and it will take some practice. But I love creating video tutorials now that I've done a few, and they just come really easily. They come out fast, and my audience just appreciate appreciates them very much because they're just easy to follow. You know, it's happening right here. Just do this, what I'm doing. Just follow what I'm doing. Really easy. Now, a couple of my most popular videos, uh, just so you can see sort of how these tutorials work, is, is how to build a blog in less than four minutes. That's a video that I've had that's been really popular. And my podcasting tutorial videos. And you can see just how much more difficult it would be 
to share those types of things in a blog post or uh, a podcast or especially in a podcast. So Sam, to answer your question, all of the mediums are effective and I would over time aim to do each. Now start with the one you're most comfortable with if you have a blog already, uh, podcasting or, or getting some video on YouTube and then get something good going there and move on to the next, you know, one thing at a time, of course. Uh, also, if you get a feeling that your audience tends to gravitate toward one of those mediums more than another, you know, put a little bit more weight into that one instead. You know, that That's why I've been publishing more podcasts lately. Uh, I used to do two a month. Now I'm aiming for one a week. And it's been, it's, it's, you know, it's been getting the best response uh, out of all my mediums. So why not give your audience what they want? So thank you, Sam, for that question. All right, let's, let's move on to the last question. This is, this is a good one. Hello, Pat. My name is Luis, and I'd like to ask you a question. Here it goes. Let's assume that your goal is to set up a business in at most three months, that it should yield an average of $1,000 per month, and that it can be transformed into a passive income business. Which things would come to your mind as business models that would probably work, and which ones would probably not work or require more time? Thank you very much for all the good you're doing. That's awesome. Bye. <laughs> hey, what's up, Luis? Um, thank you for your question. And just a side note, I think I've started to influence a lot of people to say the word awesome. I mean, I say that a lot because I'm in California and we just say that all the time, but I've been noticing a lot of people in my audience starting to say that more and I've had one or two people say, you are the reason why I say awesome now, which I think is pretty cool. So anyway, thank you for your question, Luis. This is a great question. The first thing I want to say about that is this. This sort of online business passive income thing, it is not easy. You know, if it were everyone would be successfully creating online businesses and earning a passive income within three months, let alone earning $1,000 a month. You know, this stuff is hard. It's not easy, and it takes time, patience, determination, and oftentimes more than three months. You know, I, I do think everyone can earn a passive income if they believe they can do it and they give it time. Those are two very important parts of the puzzle that a lot of people miss out on or don't get, you know, you must believe in yourself and you must give it some time. Unfortunately, those are two things that not all people do. In my most successful online businesses, uh, greenexamacademy.com and now smartpassiveincome.com, I spent a year and a half on each of those sites pouring content onto the site several times a week before seeing any sort of significant income coming from it. A year and a half each. That time was spent building relationships, creating content, and proving myself as an authority and a standout in the space that I was in, or that, I'm, that I am in, actually. But waiting that time and all that work was definitely worth all the effort for me. But like I said, that didn't happen in three months. It, that was 18 months each. So to answer part of your question right now, the business model of creating a brand, you know, like a blog, then building a tribe, creating high-value content, and then earning an income from that, um, that actually wouldn't be the way to go if we're going with you know your your criteria here. You know, if you wanted to have the best chance to get that goal, you know that you mentioned three months, one k, and passive income. That the, the blog sort of build a tribe model wouldn't wouldn't do that, or it would be very, uh, you know, that there are exceptions. Of course, you know there are some blogs and tribes that just take off, but it's not it's not a business model for this particular goal that you want to have. Um, if you want to give yourself the best chance, for me, I think. If you want to give yourself the best chance, 
for within three months, 1K a month, passive income, my suggestion is this. Find a need in a particular market, a pain. You know, you gotta do the research and get this, get this exactly right. What exactly is that pain? Pick a market, find the pain or the constant struggle, uh, and if it's not being served, serve it. And do it with software if you can. And a lot of you are probably thinking right now, back to SPI podcast episode number 46 with Dane Maxwell, this was his strategy. And you know what? I like it. You know, building software to serve a very specific niche in the way that they want to be served. And the reason I like software is it's it's great because it's something people can purchase or buy or subscribe to and immediately it does what they expect it to do when they purchase. You know, and if they learn to need that software in whatever they're doing, then they're going to continue to pay to use it. You know, that you get that recurring monthly income potentially if you set up the business model that's that way and you should. If you want to reach your goal three months, for example, you'll need 10 people maybe 10 businesses if you're targeting businesses, which might actually give you even better chance if that's your target market, you know, a very particular type of business that has a software need that you can build for them or outsource to build. So let's just say 10 customers paying you $100 a month. That's it. That is it. 10 customers paying you $10 a month. That's it. Then you get more customers over time. Those initial 10 people are still there. Maybe the next month you acquire another 10 then you have a total of 20 people paying you recurring monthly payments. So that's $2,000 per month at that point. And the software, it would run on on its own. So that, to me, is a pretty passive business model. Of course, you're going to need to market it. And in Dade's podcast, 46, he actually talks about how to pre-market software to an existing market that may need it and getting customers to help pay for the 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 building of it, you know, if you don't have that sort of payment to, to, to hire a developer. Uh, and, you know, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but a lot of people were skeptical about Dane and his tactics. I've had Skype chats with many people who followed his model, who who went into that, the foundation program that he, he put in. Um, and, you know, they had new businesses with software that served a particular niche and they were making money, which was awesome i just thought that was so cool um and 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 they weren't even finished with the product yet you know they were getting these payments from their potential clients because they were working with their 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 clients beforehand to create the software but you know i would love to do something like that and just just walk through that with you uh in the future maybe get dane to come back and sort of help me through this process and get deeper into his brain i know it's a very interesting brain he has um and make get some other people involved too um but you know we're going to wait for that because right now we're focusing on niche site dual 2.0. Uh, it just is just getting off and running now, which is cool. Um, but for that specific goal, sorry, I'm getting off tangent here. Uh, it, it, if for that specific goal, if three months is is the time to do to do it, you know that's enough time to do the research you need to do to get the software you need built, uh, keeping it very minimal. Of course, taking out all the bells and whistles, just specifically serving that market in the way they want to be served first. You know, a very lean approach to this whole thing to save time and money. Uh, And then hopefully, you know, I think, you know, it's only 10 customers paying you $100 each or 20 paying you 50 or whatever the pricing model may be. And you'll have to take into account how much your particular piece of software can save them, whether it's time or money or whatever. So I hope that helps out. Again, that sounds step-by-step, but it's definitely not easy and it's going to take some work and getting uncomfortable. But I'd love to actually hear from you, the SPI audience, listeners out there and the people reading this transcript. You know, Head on over to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 73 
And 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 how would you answer Lewis's question? You know, would, would you build a? How would you build a business in three months that earns one k per month and has the potential to be a passive income business? Although, in my opinion, I think all businesses, except ones that rely on consultation, coaching, and, and public speaking, all businesses I feel have that ability to be somewhat passive. Not one hundred percent passive. Actually, I don't think any business can be one hundred percent passive. But you can always hire out some human elements that you need in your business to specific other people who can do those things you know virtual or non-virtual assistants for example so yeah head of the blog let me know what you think at uh, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 73 how would you build a business in three months that earns 1k per month you know what are some ideas that you have what do you think of my idea or dane's idea so that's a great question, Luis. Thank you, and and thank you everyone else who you know left me a question today. If you'd like to potentially have your question answered on the Smart Passive Income podcast, head on over to speakpipe.com slash Pat Flynn and leave me a question. Now, thank you all for everything. Head on over to the blog and subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already. Lots of exclusive content there for you. And to finish up today, I just wanna wish you all the best. Stay safe, stay happy, stay motivated. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.